This is R.J. Allen, and you're listening to Rough Drafts. This is the podcast where you can get a sneak peek at early versions of my novels before they're published. For more information, go to our website at rjallen.com. That's R-J-A-L-A-N dot com. Season 1, Episode 12, The Seeker Series, Book 1, Fragments, Chapter 7, Part 2. He was in the rocky plain again, atop a pyramid. Inky darkness swirled around the plain, the pyramids poking from it like icebergs in a black sea. People crowded the tips, jostling towards the peaks, fleeing the swirling black shoals. Forms darted from the dark, writhing phlegmatic things, reaching and grasping, occasionally plucking an unlucky person from their perch to fall and be swallowed by the oily, churning mass. On the nearest pyramid, two babes, toddlers, cherubic figures, stood hand in hand, their backs to him. Dark things darted at them from below, the attackers coming closer and closer with each charge. They backed away from the attack, being driven up the slope, With one more step, they'd be at the sharp peak's summit, in danger of falling backward with any further movement. Behind them, unseen by them, another dark shape crouched, ready to spring when they fell. He shouted a warning, his words ripped out of his mouth by the wind. They couldn't hear him. He screamed and hollered, to no avail. He picked up a stone and threw it with such force his shoulder threatened to dislocate. It fell far short. The two backed the final fatal step. Finding no footing, they teetered, arms flailing. The crouching figure leapt for the kill. He woke to the sound of his own scream. Curtis slowed his breathing as he pushed from the cot. He rubbed his arms again, still chilled by the imaginary icy wind of the dream, and moved to a rocker by the fireplace, warming himself. Who'd have imagined he'd be a hunted criminal? Him, a simple priest. Worse, that he'd be being hidden by his most trusted friend, a liar and a traitor. He again searched for the non-existent clock. Was it evening yet? Would rule come soon? Early the previous morning, he'd allowed Philip to lead him back to the hideout, too frightened and weary to resist. While they slinked through back alleys, Philip said he'd been sound asleep when a great wind awakened him. He'd opened his eyes to see a vision standing over his bed, a glowing figure who said, 
fear not, and told him to find Father Curtis in the Garden of the Lion. Knowing of only one garden with a lion in it, Philip had risen and had arrived just in time. Curtis had been crouched in the bushes, the policeman closing in on him, when a hand clamped over his mouth. Seeing Philip's face inches from his own, Curtis had barely choked off an involuntary shout. Then they'd slithered into a culvert alongside the garden. The officers searched the area, but no lights had penetrated their hiding place. A hand now touched his shoulder. You're asleep, bad. Not rest well. Curtis waved off the comment, not ready to speak of his dreams when his friend's dream had led him to mount a rescue. I owe you my life, Philip. It's a small thing. It's not a small thing, and I won't forget it. Queasiness rose in his belly. His throat tightened. I'm sorry I endangered you. It's just... I feel as if I'm living in a nightmare. Or more accurately, as if my life until now has been a pleasant dream, and I now wake to this nightmare of a reality. He raised his head to the ceiling and groaned. Eternal one, what am I to do? Oh, my boy, another voice answered. It pains me to see you in such distress, and more so to know that I am the cause. Startled, Curtis spun around. Professor Rule stood at the ladder's base, blinking at him with roomy, remorseful eyes. You! Curtis launched himself from the chair. All these years, you have been lying to me. You pretended to serve the Eternal, to be my brother in ministry. You gave your oath to the Order, and yet you have this secret life? This? He flailed both arms at the rows of books, a mute testimony a menacing presence, terrifying in what they represent. What kind of man can do that? How can I ever again believe anything you say? The old man weathered the tirade, his face a mask, his eyes betraying a gentle sadness. Father Curtis wound down, his arms hanging at his sides, his shoulders slumping. No answer with forthcoming. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? I have no answer to satisfy the wound I have caused you. He seemed to grow smaller, more wizened, aging in real time before Curtis's eyes. What is done in this place is done in secrecy, out of necessity. Only those involved in the effort are aware of it. This is not by my choice, but is as it must be. For a moment, only their unmatched breathing disturbed the silence. Then Rule took a tentative step towards him, arms out as if to take Curtis by the hand. Curtis crossed his arms and stepped back. Rule dropped his arms and hung his head, 
shaking it side to side. Moreover, I have kept this from you not only for the protection of those involved, but also to protect you, my boy. He dabbed his eyes with a shirt sleeve. You, above all others, I wanted to keep from this, to protect from this danger. His voice breaking, he sank into a chair. The sight was so pathetic, all heat went out of Curtis. He slumped back into his own chair, elbows on table and fingers buried in his mop of dark hair. He straightened, catching Rule's eye. Well, do you deny this is treason to the order? A dishonor to the writings? Why would you do it? Is it treason to the order? Head cocked, the older man fixed bright eyes on the fire as if seeing something in its flames. I wonder. Truth is only an offense to those loyal to a lie. If our order values truth as we claim, how can it be treasonous to seek truth? The professor had always been able to turn Curtis's thoughts into a pretzel, and he was trying to do it again. Not this time. That's sophistry. Is it? Of course it is. Curtis gave another violent arm wave, bumping his elbow on the table. We rely on the writings. I've seen lives helped by the writings and lives ruined when people stray away from them. You attack that. You attack the foundations of our faith, our civilization. Wincing, he shoved his chair back and stood to pace, rubbing his elbow. As I recently reminded you, Rule leaned back in his chair, head swiveling to track Curtis's movements. He stopped him with a pointed finger. A young man once wrote a number of papers. These papers became perilously close to challenging the writings where they conflicted with what he called evident truth. Waving a hand, Curtis grunted and turned away. I was young and arrogant. I grew up and realized there are things I can't understand. So you have given up. Rule stood, bracing arms on table and leaning in, brows raised. Given in. Curtis spun, his own finger pointed, the heat of flashing indignant anger in his chest. I battle every day for the good of my people. How is that giving in? Yes, indeed. I understand this about you. Perhaps better than you do yourself. Let us examine. You say you've seen lives destroyed because people strayed from the writings. You claim that by teaching the writings, you have helped those people. Elaborate. You're deflecting. He placed his hands on the table, matching Rule's stance, leaning in to bring himself face to face with the old man. This conversation is about you, not me. Philip 
tapped Professor Rule's shoulder and whispered in his ear. Rule gave him a nod, and Philip waved to Curtis, climbing the ladder to the exit. Hear me out, my boy. Rule puffed a breath through his lips and sank back into his chair, waving Curtis to his own. I stand accused by you, so allow me to mount my defense. Now, an example, please, and this is quite relevant. How exactly have the writings helped your flock? You know all this already. Humor me. Curtis sighed and looked at the bare concrete ceiling. You know Northwoods was a mess when I arrived. It took me a while to get to the root of the problem. And that was? The complicated mess of dysfunctions in my congregation flummoxed me. But then I realized it was thus. People are selfish. They do destructive things. Chase temporary happiness and hurt everyone around them. I often compared those bad choices to a grain of sand that started an avalanche, a cascade of bad consequences. He stood and went to the dying fire, adding a new log to the embers. It had been so long since he had thought of those early days in Northwoods. It seemed a lifetime ago. He remained on his haunches before the fireplace, speaking as if to the fading coals. I went to my senior pastor, Father Angelo, but he wasn't open to new ways, so I did what I was able with the youth groups. His chest warmed, both at the memory and the burst of flame from the kindling he had added to the fire, fanning the sparks of the remaining coals to life. Those early years, seeing the seedlings sprouting changes, so much like the growing flames now licking up the side of the log. He sighed in pleasure at the warmth. A year later, Father Angelo died, and I became the senior pastor, so I implemented my ideas in the church as a whole. He stood and spread his hands. You already know all this history. You know that when I was allowed to teach the writings properly, it made a difference. Curtis reclaimed his seat. Across the table, Rule's face was side-lit by the dancing light of the flames, deepening the shadowed wrinkles. So old, so bone-brittle. How could he stay angry at this fragile, precious little man? Rule leaned back hands laced over his chest in the perfect pose of a seasoned lecturer. Give me an example of the destructive things people stopped doing because of the writings. That recent conversation with Leif. One of the biggest problems was alcoholism. Many people drank too much. It drags down the family and therefore the entire community. I made it my mission to change that. Slowly, over time, it's gotten better. 
Rule nodded encouragingly. And you made this change by teaching the writings? That's my point. The writings make lives better. What verses did you find most helpful when teaching about drunkenness? Can you name any offhand? Of course. Curtis rattled off several from memory. Head tilted to one side, Rule gave him a confused look. The verses you recite are general verses about living an exemplary life. None specifically address alcohol. Can you offer me any verses which do? Good point. Heart thudding, Curtis floundered. I'm sure I can, but I can't think of any offhand. Rule slid a copy of the writings across the table toward him. Here, perhaps you have simply forgotten. Can you find one for me? The thuds in his chest increased as he searched the table of contents and then the glossary to prove his case. Why did he feel the need to prove this, to prove himself to his old teacher? He shoved the book away and slumped back against his hard wooden seat. I can't find them right now. The argument might be derivative of more general teachings, but it is still valid. The proof is in happier families and healthier communities. Of that, I have no doubt, my boy. No doubt at all. The writings had helped him teach against so many things, gossip, greed, marital infidelity, and vengeance. He'd used them to extol brotherly love, charity, kindness, and more. He could defend all of these teachings by evidence of improved lives. But where were these written as direct teachings from the writings? What's the point of this exercise? I shouldn't be defending myself here. He waved at the collection of books. You're the criminal. How are you going to fix my reputation? That's what I want to know. Rule reached across the table and caught Curtis's forearm, patting his hand with the other. The point is this. You accuse me of attacking the foundations of your faith. You're angry because of that. I'm trying to help you see that the writings aren't the foundation you believed them to be. They're not as pivotal to your ministry as you think. Ridiculous. Rule pulled his hand away and slapped the table, jostling empty cider cups. Think about it, man. You spent your life convincing yourself you served the order when you were really serving your people as you should. The writings had little to do with it. You know as well as I that many of your teachings run contrary to the traditions of the order. I've been a loyal priest. Really? I remember one of your first actions was to eliminate the Holy Day Wine Festivals. Those parties are a staple in most churches and encouraged by the order. Nothing in the writings contravenes such observances. You 
suffered great controversy over that. His eyes pinned Curtis's from beneath those shaggy white brows. Given the trouble it caused you, why did you embark on such a campaign? Feeling as if he was being led into a trap, but uncertain what rule was leading at, he said, I didn't do that out of disloyalty. I did it out of concern. Alcoholism was rampant in my church. How could I, in good conscience, promote more drinking? I take no issue with your position. No, I applaud it. But my point is this. You served your people, ministered to them, based upon truths you observed in the world around you. You did not find those truths in the writings. You say that you built your life and your ministry on the writings. I say, poppycock, you built it on truth and then ascribed that truth to the writings after the fact. Curtis felt the ground of his understanding of himself and of his world crumbling. He scrambled to regain his footing and opened his mouth to protest, beginning to rise from his chair. Rule held up a placating hand. Please understand this. My aim is not to attack the writings. I seek truth, just as you have, even if you knew it not. A whisper drifted through Curtis's head, an echo from a dream. Seek the truth, he murmured, dropping back into his chair. What? I did not hear you, my boy. One of the candles guttered, sending a thread of sooty smoke to coil and pool at the ceiling. He wasn't thinking about the candles, or even about this room. In his mind, he was back in that black, cold place. Back with the lion. In my dream. His heart fluttered, and something in his mind clicked, almost audibly, like the sound of tumblers falling home in a lock. The lion told me to seek the truth. Rule's eyes widened, a look of hope dawning on his face. He reached across the table and grabbed Curtis's arm, shaking it as if to wake him. And you have always done so, even when you deceived yourself into thinking you followed the writings. You could not help yourself. It is your nature. You and I, my boy, have always sought truth, each in our own way. Always. How can you fault me for doing so now? He took in the row of books on the shelf. He could still feel the weight of their consequent presence, the unseen mass of their significance creating a kind of psychic gravity. But now, instead of being wholly terrified by their pull, a small part of him reached a tentative mental hand towards them. Is there something there? Something I should learn? No! 
He snatched his hand back from rule as if snatching back that imaginary hand. If we can't trust the writings, then what? Ah, rule smiled. Now we come to the question. What can we trust? Or more to the point, what is truth? What if I were to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the writings have indeed been attacked? But not by me. They have been under attack for a long time, have been altered. What if I were to prove our efforts here are an attempt to rescue them from that very attack, to recover that lost truth? <laughs> 